Have you ever gotten your message lost in translation? Launched a well-thought-out content on social media only to get lost in the noise? Welcome to the Moving Beyond Acronyms Podcast. We are here to help you with practical tools to find your voice, craft shareable content, stand out in the marketplace, expand your tribe, and convert followers into ambassadors or customers. I'm Torrent, your host, a message master that's helped leaders, entrepreneurs, and businesses ignite their message with lasting impact. Each week, we will go behind the scenes to share real and deep conversations with the most prominent message masters on how they took an idea and crafted content that have trended to the stratosphere, boosted the bottom line, and improved the world around them. Now, let's get started. How do we connect, empower, transform with our message? Today, we'll find out from award-winning communicator, Abby Guthkelch, who's currently the Global Communications Solutions Lead at Facebook Workplace. Abby's been a trailblazer in her career. And I say trailblazer because you'll find out from Abby, she's someone who understands the job that she's been placed in, recognizes the responsibility she has been handed, and ultimately exceeds all expectations by creating new opportunities where she's at. Today, we'll learn from Abby about how to succeed at work, how does COVID-19 usher the new normal, and what is the new normal? Are we going to be Zooming for the rest of our days at work? The power and opportunity of clear messaging to empower, transform offices, culture, and business. And what is thought leadership? How to become a thought leader and some great hacks. Enjoy. I am so excited to have Abby here from Facebook. She's been a friend of mine now for a couple of years. Uh, We met at a conference and we've just had this wonderful conversation about trends, communications, and Facebook. And what I really got intrigued by her is that she really understands words or loves words. And what I loved so much was her previous job she had The title of her agency was Not Another Agency, which captures everyone's attention, Abby. So welcome again. Thank you so much for having me. (laughs) I was so excited to be asked to to do this. This is um, my first podcast. So to have the opportunity to do this with you is, is awesome. So thank you for having me. Well, thank you. So why did you get into or how did you get into communications and marketing? So interesting as journey. For those listeners who want to go and check out my my LinkedIn profile, you'll see that it's a rather convoluted journey or it looks like a bit random. But when I left university, I didn't have the first idea what I wanted to do as a career. And I didn't want to get into a long vacation and then find years down the line that actually I absolutely hated what I did. And I, you know, I wanted to take some time to, to actually find my role and what I wanted to do. And so I decided to become a PA, uh, an executive assistant, a personal assistant on leaving university and joined a FTSE 250 um, manufacturing company in London and uh, was a PA to the company secretary, the finance director and emergence and acquisitions director. 
And that gave me a really good insight into how businesses run. And that was my whole thing. I was like, go in, like understand what was happening within the organization and then kind of figure out where I sort of like saw the best fit. So I did it for a couple of years, um, loved it, and then went to speak to a recruiter to, to, to basically say, like, I don't know what to do now. The recruiter asked me a great question, was, what, what do you do at the moment that you love? I sort of said, oh, I haven't really thought about it. Well, I have been writing annual reports. I have just delivered a corporate new corporate website. I have been organizing the, the AGM, the annual general meeting for the shareholders and for the company secretary. And I was like explaining all these things. And um, the recruiter said, oh, it sounds like investor relations. And I said, investor relations, like never heard of it brilliant. How do I do it? Get into that. And she sourced me an entry level investor relations role within a FTSE uh, 100 real estate company called Land Securities, um, again, based in London. From there, I then carved out a digital communications role. And the rest, as they say, is is history. And that's how I got into, into communications. But it was very much from a, a place of enjoying projects and not realizing that I could do those full time and get paid for them rather than just focused on being a PA at the time. But being a PA, you did a lot of untraditional things. So how did you get those projects? That's pretty impressive. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not afraid to pitch ideas <laughs> um, and, and offer my opinion on, uh, on, on where I think things could or should be going. So I have been very fortunate to work with some fantastic chief executives, some, some fantastic leaders who have given me the, the time of day in my career to, to enable me to pitch ideas to them. So the, the chief executive of the, of the first organization that I worked for, um, I was in a meeting with him and a number of senior other um, people, and I'm sure it was appropriate to the conversation that was being had. I didn't just randomly come out with it, but I sort of made the point that I didn't think that the corporate website, as it stood at the moment, really represented us as an organization, and I didn't think it really conveyed a lot of the messaging that we were trying to get across in in both the annual result, um, annual report, but also in investor meetings, etc. To which he sort of looked at me and sort of said, you're probably right. Um, well, here you go. Here's some money. Oh, I didn't have just hand me money. That would be weird. But he gave, me, he gave me a budget and said, go and do a website project, which I was like, who, who, me? No, I was just telling you, you need to do this. Like, oh, okay, you want me to do this? So I went and that's my first website project that I did and, and was very lucky to win an award um, for it. And, and really, you know, I had to think about researching it, doing it with an agency, but also structuring the best way of getting messaging across. And then I wrote the whole website. And it was the first time I had had written um, anything like that. You wrote the whole website yourself? Yeah. So then you really found out that you have a talent for messaging. Yeah, yeah. And I think, um, well, apparently, <laughs> although my sixth grade English teacher may not have said the same thing uh, at the time. They always say that you're a bad writer. <laughs> yeah. So I'd obviously waited for my time. But yeah, I, I um, discovered a talent for being able to craft messages for different audiences, um, which has stood me in good stead um, throughout my career. Wow. And you've received a lot of rewards throughout your career. And, and what would you say is the one thing that has made that possible? 
Because a lot of yeah, people I mean, do your jobs, but they don't get rewards for it and get recognized for it. And so you have an exceptional talent in what you've been doing. <laughs> it's very kind. Yeah, I have been, it has been fortunate to win a number of awards for, for different projects that I've worked on and be, be recognized within the industry. But I couldn't have done it without incredible team people, you know, team members uh, around me and sort of like really bringing together the best talent and the diversity of thought to, to bring these projects to life. Yeah, it, it's definitely a team effort, 100%. There's not a single one of those awards that I can claim as being only something that I have delivered, even ones that have my name on it. I've been enabled by having the right people around me who have, uh, we've, we've taken risks together to, to, to really further projects and push the boundaries and, and to do things that people haven't done before. And uh, you've mentioned kind of like the diversity the diversity of team. And I'm really inspired by that word diversity and how you've, because I really believe that's probably one of your secret sauces because most people are cognizant about having such a diversity. I'm humble enough to know that I don't have all the answers. Whilst I might in in an argument with friends claim to know everything, that's not the case. And I really see great value in bringing together individuals that may not have worked or would never think about working with each other and creating teams that are made up of, of really a lot of different individuals, different ways of thinking, different ways of actually approaching ideas. The team that I ran at Ketchum, an Omnicom PR agency, I was the head of digital for a couple of years. And we used to, to refer to our, our team as like the ultimate weird family it shouldn't work, and yet it just does. And I think that was very much, that was a, a really, it was something that I was very mindful of as I, as I was recruiting for the team. I didn't want everyone to have the same way of approaching an idea. I didn't want everyone with the same experience that had come up through a particular mold. I wanted to bring that diversity together to really enable the best ideas to come through and, and to take risks um, on them. So how did you find that? Because a lot of people, they just get into their, to their biases of hiring. I'm going to hire from Harvard, from, from Columbia. They're going to go to the McKenzie. They're doing this, blah, blah, blah. How were you disciplining yourself to be diverse? That's a skill set. Yeah, it's, it's, and I've, I've subsequently gone through training um, and it's, it's something that, you know, and particularly in the larger organizations that I've worked for, going through um, unconscious bias training, et cetera, has been really important. But even before I went through that training, I never approached interviewing in the way that I was told to interview people. <laughs> <laughs> ah, now we find out. So what would you do? <laughs> I, I have a conversation with people because actually, you know, people, they train themselves on how to be great interviewees, right? And so everyone expects to have the same level of questions coming through. And I'm like, nah, I'm not interested in that. Like, I know that you probably rehearsed this or whatever. So I'm going to come at you with completely different questions and really get to just know you as individuals and start to see how you think. So that can be anything from... Where do you go to get inspired? What was the last book that you wrote? Yeah, that you wrote. I mean, that'd be weird. Um, that, you, that you read. Which brand do you, do you most admire? 
questions that wouldn't necessarily you would think in a first round interview um, to ask. And, and that's a way to, to really start to understand people's thinking and who they are as individuals and what they can bring. You can see from someone's resume whether they can do the job. And you can obviously use references and, and like talk to your network about who those people are and whether they'd recommend them. But actually, it's about connecting with them and understanding what they can bring to the team that you may have a gap for. You won't even sometimes realize that you have a gap in that way of thinking until you start to have that conversation. How do you sift through then? Is it through the conversation you just find if they fit or don't fit? Or is it more seeing they're being genuine or... Because it's a talent, I, and that's a talent that I'm that I'm kind of lacking, or I'm not as good at that. So I always have someone else help with that because I'm not a very not very good at sifting through that. That's one of my weaknesses. It's interesting, and I've been very fortunate to meet a lot of people in interviews. <laughs> I think I've conducted close to about a thousand interviews, and for someone that's never worked in someone who's never worked in recruitment. That's kind of an interesting fact, right? Um, and it's because, no, apart from the PA roles that I did right at the start of my career, none, none of my roles have been done by anyone else. So I've had to start new teams and have helped teams grow. So not just in my particular area, I've helped establish other teams, which means that I have become very, very good at being able to read CVs or resumes. And you can spot, you can, I just have a knack for being able to, to spot the words that are being used and, and trying to see the authenticity and find the, the nuggets of, ah, okay, I'm starting to understand who this person is from their, from their resume. And then you test that when it comes, when you come in for first round. Um, but I also love it how we do things here um, at Facebook and you come into a loop team interview, which is, you know, you as the hiring manager do the first round interview, and then you find four people who you want them to meet. And then you all come together and look at who your favorite candidate is. And it's a really nice way, particularly of getting an understanding for who that person is from different personality types and testing that sort of diversity of thinking and, uh, and ways of exploring different problem, problem solving. So out of all the thousand, I'm assuming you've made some mistakes along the way of hiring or has it been like a perfect record for you there, Abby? <laughs> well, I don't know. They might be listening to this. Of course, I've made all the... <laughs> Always hired the right people. Yes, there's, there's definitely been a couple that haven't necessarily been the best hires, but we've made it work because we've then looked at why, what is it that didn't, hasn't quite worked? And is there a way that we can develop people around it? But, you know, it comes into when you have diversity of teams and, and thinking, of course, there's going to be some frictions that, that, that happen. And it's about creating boundaries and, and ways of working so that you can have a really functioning, high-performing, diverse team and, you know, you're enabling everyone in the team to have a voice as much as anything. Interesting. With, yeah, because that's, that's, I think, why people shy away from diverse teams. You know, you want to have your own prototype of all the people that are just like you, right? <laughs> and then you realize that you're screwing up because you're doing that. 
and creating that friction, I imagine you're very good at managing that friction. And how do you manage that friction? Number one, you're saying finding voice. Number two, the boundaries. But how do you like, if there's two ideas that are the same, what do you, what do you do when you're competing for just one idea and you've got these two ideas? What, what would you do to kind of mollify the friction? At the end of the day, we're, we're all human. To have the idea that you think is the best one to potentially have some negative or constructive feedback come at you is it's going to sting. And so it's about making sure that you do have that sort of like boundaries um, around it. But I don't think there's any place for one great idea. So it's about actually looking at, you know, the, the, the two ideas and, and thinking about, okay, well, is there a way that we can have them work together? Is there a way that we can sequence the idea? Is there actually another opportunity or another project where one of those ideas fits better, uh, you know, or in a different way with a different team or a different work stream. So I, I don't think it's always about competing for ideas. It's not a case of actually playing people off against each other. And I think always in creating an environment where you enable people to thrive. I, I worked with this fantastic guy um, when I was at Ketchum who introduced me to the rules of brainstorming. He said to me right, in one of my first meetings, um, the, the way he ran a brainstorm, the first rule, it's almost like fight camp, right? A fight club even. You know, the first rule of brainstorms is nobody poos in the pool. And I looked at him, I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, what? And he explained to me, you know, when someone poos in the pool, everyone gets out. And I'm like, okay, I have no idea where this is going. Okay, brilliant. And he said to me, you know, so if people bring in negativity into a brainstorm, it will shut the whole brainstorm down. He said, you know, if you think about it, if everyone's blue sky thinking and then you have someone go, yeah, no, we couldn't do that because like we tried it three weeks ago and it didn't work. Or someone says, yeah, but like we'd never get that through. That's negativity that's coming in that's then just going to make people clamp up and not think out of the box in a different way. So it's, it's an, you know, that's not to say that when you leave the brainstorm, you don't then triage the ideas and start to think about the ways that you can, yes, that's not going to work, or where are my quick wins? What are the, going to be the game changers, et cetera, and doing it in that way. But you don't do it in an environment where actually you're asking people to really freely express and come up with different ideas and release the negativity from that side. That's a very interesting way of, of tackling it. So when you're interviewing then for the loop with people, how does that work? Because it seems like it's almost like a similar way. Like it seems like the whole attitude there is that there's nothing really wrong with an idea. You're, cry, you're almost trying to create like a safety net where it's okay to be who you are. It's okay to come with these things. We're going to always try to find a solution. So it's, and you've kind of taken away the element of competition and put together collaboration as the number one value. At the same time, each one can come with their ideas in a sense of competing. Did I get that right? Yeah, I mean, 100%. I mean, I think, it, you know, to kind of put it in a, in a way that sort of applies just outside of interviewing or outside brainstorming is a great idea can come from anywhere, right? So it's not to, to, to say that it has to go through a structured process or anything. What you want to do is enable people to have a voice, to have a platform to bring ideas through, to be able to share, to be able to collaborate and to, be, and to enable people to work to get 
to extract the best that they can be or that idea can be. And it's it's one of the reasons that I was drawn to, to working in workplace and, you know, the, the concepts and the sort of the mission behind what workplace is, is all about, which is about building community and enabling people to have a voice in an organization and collaborate with each other and recognizing that it, it's not a top-down hierarchical thing or you can only talk about a particular subject because you're in that particular area. No, actually, when you're part of an organization, you're all part of something big. And so enabling people to, to really come together to, to get the most out of not only work, but also bringing them together to get the best out of to everyone in the way that they're going to work together. Wow. I'm so glad we got into Facebook Workplace. So what do you, what do, you do at Facebook? I am part of Workplace. Um, and the, for those of your listeners that haven't heard of Workplace, we are the uh, communications and collaboration platform for, um, for business. We uh, enable organizations to create internal community so that you can bring your organization um, closer together. And my role in the team, I am part of the executive engagement team based in London. And our mission in the team is to inspire executives to build connected cultures within their organization. So uh, a lot of my role is very much, uh, my day is spent discussing trends around employee experience, culture, community, both externally with, with customers, with wider industry. So a couple of weeks ago, I was delivering a keynote at the uh, IABC conference. I do regular fireside chats, but also I work with our customers to, on, on what best practice looks like from a communications and collaboration standpoint. But I also created our Connect Executive program um, at Facebook, which provides leadership engagement coaching to C-suite leaders and the senior comms team members that, that counsel them. So a bit varied. Have fun. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that is, so, uh, that is so cool. So what would you say, having been in Facebook now and with the coronavirus, what are some trends that you're seeing or something that really surprised you? What I would say is that, uh, I mean, obviously it's the million dollar question um, at the moment, right? What's next? Like, what does the world look like in X amounts of months? But if I take a step back and look at it purely from a employee experience um, perspective, the, the pandemic for, in terms of how I'm looking at it has changed everything and yet changed absolutely nothing. What it has done is it has accelerated some companies' digital transformation programs, and in some cases has has enabled a refocus um, for people to to build those transformations around, you know, building the organization that celebrates their people first and foremost and recognizing the, the real value that people can bring. But there's not some, there's nothing new in that. Like I said, it's, it's accelerated it. So it's a movement that we've been on a trend that we've been seeing um, over the last few years. And in fact, it's something that we've been championing since the inception of, of Workplace about uh, five years ago. But companies are really starting to, to recognize that there is this crisis of disconnection at work. 
And in August of last year, the, the Business Roundtable in the US announced that the well-being of their, their workers and the communities in which they operate are now more important about investing in than creating shareholder value. And what they've really understood is that their most valuable asset by far is their people. And they're now re-engineering business and they're very understanding um, about work around these people. And that's something that the pandemic has really doubled down on. People recognize the fact that they need to look after their people. They need to uh, to, to enable them to, to continue to get the most out of out of work, even for those organizations that have had to furlough employees, you know, they still have needed to keep that connection and look after them. And that's that's definitely a trend that that, that we've seen is that, you know, connected companies are empowering people to, to be the best that they can be in work. And uh, we talk about a simple formula a lot of our customers have, which is, Happy people equals happy customers equals happy business. And if you get that equation right, then that's when the magic really starts to happen. But it's about really focusing in on the fact that when people enjoy and get the most out of their work, then they will get the best. You will get the best out of them. And just focusing around productivity or an output and not focusing in on actually the need for connection and a way to, to um, bring people together, that's, that's where I'm seeing the real shift come through. So how do you keep people connected, say, through workplace, if you're in a manufacturing and you have like shift workers? And how does that work? Before the pandemic made pretty much everyone deskless in the world, there was a, some research that, that came out that actually found that the percentage of the global workforce that are deskless is 80%. So 80 percent 80%, 80% of the global workforce. So that's around 2.7 billion people. So these are people that would never see a desk or an office. So they are probably multi-generational. This is where you're going to see the five generations of workers alongside each other. Um, they're often, as you say, hourly workers rather than salaried workers. And they've frequently not been given a corporate device or, or an email address. And, and so when we talk about bringing community to work, we absolutely have to talk about bringing community um, to these people. And it's where the biggest disconnect happens. So if you think about more traditional organizations, the way that they've been communicating um, with these workers are through posters in the break room, through cascading of line manager briefings. You may sometimes get mail shots that go out, you know, like internal magazines, etc. But there's not a way to actually bring everyone together to be part of the same environment, to enable people to feel part of something bigger, but also enable them to have a voice within the community and within an organization. So we did at Workplace, we did some research last year into frontline workers. We wanted to understand where the frictions, friction points were happening. And what we found was 25% of frontline workers have had a great idea about how to transform business and yet have had no idea where to share the idea 
who to tell the idea to. And that's a huge amount of potential going to waste. You know, if you think about it, these are your people that are more often than not your front line to your uh, customers, to uh, any products that are, are being shipped out, etc. And if they're not able to help make a difference on how to better your organization and transform it and innovate on it, what is happening with the world? And yet they, they feel so disconnected because they're not being given um, a voice. So yeah, it's a group that we are so passionate about connecting. And, and sadly, you know, for a long time, the focus has been on desk-based workers as being the ones that we do need to give the information to and actually failing to recognize an organization is a part of all of its people, all of its different worker types. And we have to stop stop enabling this them and us culture and restricting access to, to information and having the separation, which doesn't need to be there. Like people should be proud to work in their, their place of work and feel part of it, regardless of what type of worker they are. Yeah. Not that I'm passionate about it no, at all. No, no. <laughs> no but it's true because when I was working in like a, a helping this manufacturing, how do you create community? And I think they had an intranet, but I, what I really listen to you now is that it all comes down to empowerment and connection and transformation, which is kind of like your tagline on LinkedIn, because you can have this wonderful internet, you can have these wonderful activities out there, but if you're not connecting them, because what I found too, is that a lot of times you say, Oh, these people just want to have the softball team. They want to have this and they want to have that. But it's like what you're saying, 25% of the people really want to give, of themselves to their ideas and it really comes down to connection absolutely i mean what i what i would say is that there is 100 percent a place for connecting people around interests like softball or whatever because that is a way that you actually really enable emotional connection with people that you work with you work alongside but also you know people that you may not meet on a daily basis so you know could you imagine starting every single interaction at work be that uh, in a meeting or be that through a video call or whatever it is where there is no you're not allowed to talk personal no personal interaction to it you're just straight into business and then out and like no you can't talk you can't I can't ask someone how they are no you can't ask them what they did at the weekend you know etc and that's what people have been trying to do on digital platforms and it's like that's not how humans work like we we find a way of actually connecting you need to be able to connect and understand who people are to be able to recognize them and respect them and to trust them. So, you know, if you look at trust as a key part of, of, of work and organizations, you know, particularly um, leaders, you know, people want, want you to trust in the organization, trust in the strategy, trust in the leadership team. Well, I'm sorry to say you're not going to get that trust if you're not visible and you yourselves are not having the willingness to show up as a person within an organization because you can't trust someone if you don't recognize them and you can't recognize them if you don't see them and it's like it's this vicious circle that basically sort of like comes through so for me you know leadership visibility is a massive part as well of really making sure that you have a healthy community at work and authentically visible leadership as well. But I think that's where it kind of comes in when you're coaching these leaders is that they have to be themselves fully. It's not just about 
do in the corporate speak? Because I think a lot of times when you look on the internet, you're too scared. Like uh, some companies that I've consulted, they don't want to give it, they don't want to unleash this to the staff because, oh my gosh, they'll write something and it might not work and it might not fit the corporate language. And then the staff gets too afraid because they don't feel like they can write or be themselves, right? So there is that whole vicious cycle. Absolutely. And you know, I, I think whenever I um, talk to uh, to leaders and, and coach them and, and their communications teams, the, the first part you have to start with is really who you are. What do you want to be known for? Um, so, you know, what do you want to be known for within the internal community? And, and what's your why? Why do you do what you want to do? Why do you get up and come into work? What interests you? What makes you passionate? What gives you um, energy? And really having, like you say, the, the willingness to be seen as a person and be authentically seen to be that um, person and have your personality um, shine through. I refer to it as like the slash, slash, slash. You know, we're not just one thing. I'm not just Abby that works at workplace. I have many different elements of my personality that, that come through. I love to laugh. I love to have fun. And I will try and bring humor into most of the interactions as appropriate that I have. But also, like you say, when it comes to words, leaders have got very used to this corporate jargon. And actually, we're like, strip it all back, like use weekend words in your communications as a way to actually connect with people because, you know, you're hiding behind this jargon or this sort of third person sort of like element. Ultimately, if it's not what you would say naturally out loud, please don't write it down because if it is something that could be written by anyone within the organization, you wouldn't be able to say, oh, yeah, that's definitely Dirk. That, that wrote that versus Jane that wrote that. If you can't see someone's personality coming through in the words or the delivery, then you are not authentically or emotionally going to connect with people. And then your effectiveness of your message will be 100% lost. But how do you teach leaders like that? Because in my career, I've always been taught to be corporate, taught to be this certain position. I'm the communications, I'm the leader. You're not supposed to show yourself. And and working with David Berman Scott, who's the bestseller author of Phenocracy, talks about the future now is to unlock your full self, which is what you're talking about. So how do you unlock that voice? And how do you and how do you give people the confidence to do that? And how do you teach leaders to do that? Because I know I've been taught this whole time to be behind the scenes and not to be that. For me, it is one of the silver linings to to come out of the pandemic is that leaders are finally waking up to the fact that they need to be this authentically visible person and they can't be the wizard of Oz. You can't rule from behind a curtain that nobody can kind of see who you are. People want to work for companies where leaders are connected to the people and you're, you're absolutely right. Sadly, there is this disconnect at the moment. There's a lot of leaders out there that think that they're doing it all right because They've been taught to do it in this particular way. And, you know, it's been the baton that's been handed down from the last leader to the last leader. And that's the way that it's always been done. And actually what you need to do is, is, is we're now having to be brave and actually say, do you know what? This isn't how things work these days. I mean, that's how we have seen quite a lot of crisis happen, play out on, on social media, where a leader's apology after an, an incident or an issue has been so written by uh, legal and or compliance and or that comes out and you're just like, all the headlines are like, 
insert, you know, leader's name is so disconnected from the people and his customers. And of course, yeah, because he's not actually being given the space to express it and deliver it in the way that would naturally suit his or her personality and the way that should be delivered. Now, not to say that, you know, everyone should be freewheeling it. Absolutely not. But it's being really strategic. That's what it comes back to the why. Why and what? What do you want to be known for? So really honing around either a particular topic that you want to own because it gives you energy. And, you know, as we know, once you do things that give you energy, you're more liable to do them and and really give your best best self over to, to doing that, but also seeing the positive effects that can come back at you for just enabling some level of vulnerability to come through and, and willingness to be seen um, as a full person. Full person, that's a hard one, but it's, it's an unnecessary one. It's, it's, it's learning how to, be, to really step up all of yourself. And I think that's where your, your other area, which I really like and interested in, is thought leadership. How would you define thought leadership? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's an interesting one. I know that a lot of people think about thought leadership as being an expert in your field. For me, that's, I think that's a real miss on what thought leadership is, is about. So the way that I think about it is it should inspire you to think about things in a, in a different way. It will enable you to connect things in a, in a way that you may have not thought to do so previously. And something that really starts a conversation or a dialogue so something that you've read or, or something that you've you've watched or even something you've listened to that's actually made you go huh didn't think about it like that um or you have an aha moment which is like oh yeah oh that's what I've been trying to think about that for me is what thought leadership is and it's a recognition that a great idea can come from anywhere absolutely anywhere and you just have to give people a voice and an ability to, to empower them to have that voice to come through. I don't think thought leadership only sits with leaders. Absolutely not. And, you know, that's, that's what we see within, within workplace communities, within our customers, is that you can enable people to have a voice and to start to build out a presence and be known for subjects that they are passionate about and have value back into the organization and really stimulate that dialogue and also allow you to crowdsource for ideas. It's not about having a very specific process, um, et cetera. So for me, thought leadership is, is very much about inspiration and also recognition that you don't have all of the answers. And just because you have an opinion and a, and, a, and a way that you frame something, having the ability to listen to others and different ways of thinking and still being able to say, do you know what, I heard you, but I'm still comfortable to come out with this or potentially adapt as, as necessary, but build from it and not just have this regimented, okay, I've got one view and that's going to be the way that I stick to it. That's For me, that's not, that's not leadership, that's lecturing. You're kind of defining right now that a thought leader is really a leader that listens and collaborates, but yet has the guts to be in the arena with their own voice. Absolutely. I, I think, um, I think for, for me, you know, some of the attributes of, of a leader is, is someone that, that enables and sets with, with, with purpose, but is transparent and, and open and brings people together in sort of like a, a wave of, of thoughts 
and creativity. And you don't have to just be in creative roles to have creativity. Creativity of thought can be applied in any part of any industry. Um, it's just an outside of the box way of thinking. And so, yeah, for, for, for me, a truly great leader is someone that can spot a good idea, can enable good ideas, and can sometimes actually just sit back and listen rather than actually be the one that is constantly delivering. So when you look at this with Facebook now, and we've been in coronavirus now for four months, what, are the, what do you think are the new rules of engagement? What are you guys seeing at Workplace about this? I mean, it, it does go back to the fact that, you know, we are seeing more and more people wake up to the, the, the fact that everyone within, within the organization does need a voice and a, and a way to, to, to work with each other. But with that comes when you're not physically able to be together and we're 2D conversations are, are sort of like more the norm. So for, for us, you know, and we've all seen it, I mean, a lot of people's um, social lives have, have become Zoom calls or house party or messenger or WhatsApp pub quizzes and, and, and everything. And even I celebrated a big birthday at the beginning of April and I had like, you know, back-to-back drinking sessions with friends over video, which I would never have thought about doing. So, you know, videos, video is absolutely a, a massive part of what we see is going to come um, out and will remain post the pandemic. You know, but that's something that we've believed for a while that after face-to-face in-person communication, Video is the best medium to improve the effectiveness of, of messaging and also the, the emotional connection with your audience. So, Taryn, you'll know this. Over 90% of communication is nonverbal, right? It's down to tone. It's down to body language, etc. Actually, only about 7% of it is actually the words itself. Now, the words are incredibly important, but it's the delivery and it's the way that you actually do that. So one of the main reasons I love to get into communication was the fact that that I was fascinated by the fact that you could put the same couple of sentences in front of a room full of people and every single person would read something slightly different into those two sentences. You know, they'd probably pick out a different word or a different meaning or a way that it was, hang on, did you, did you get this from this? No, I didn't. I got this from this. And so I think video is, is going to be even more important to not only drive messaging across, but to enable connection and culture um, within organizations. So video, 100% trend that we're, we're, we're seeing coming through. I, I said it earlier about leadership visibility and, and the need to, to really bring together the top and the bottom of the organization and uh, the magic that can happen and the opportunity for not just C-suite leaders, but leaders across an organization to really earn trust from their employees. We're seeing a huge amount on care and well-being people uh, really recognizing the need to look after their own. And um, for those people that have pivoted to remote working or isolated working, recognizing that this is not normal, right? You know, there's not a time that we've ever had to have such a blurring of our personal and work lives. So those people who have been stay at home, work from home, teach from home, parent from home, be a partner at home, be a, you know, 
all these multiple hats that people are having to, to wear. And actually, you know, a lot of what we're seeing is around ensuring, you know, mental health is being looked after and, you know, the sort of the, the, the negative implications of so much isolation away from people and, you know, freedom of movement coming through. So I think there's going to be expectations from employees going forward that more choice will be something that they'll be looking for, flexibility, but also people have got very comfortable about actually their personal and their work lives and the intersection of how that's blurred. So even down to, I mean, I've had a conversation with like investment bankers and I'm saying to them, are you honestly telling me that when you guys return to the office that you're going to have mandated business dress codes? Because you've been doing these multi-billion dollar trades, sitting there in jeans and tracksuits and having this communication. Like, I don't think we can ever sit there and say, you have to be in professional attire to get your job done. Now, if you want to choose to wear your suit to work because that's more comfortable for you, then that's one thing. But it will be interesting to see how actually everything slightly changes to enable more choice and flexibility in employee experience. What did they say to that when you answered? What did they think? The, the person I was speaking to was very much like, do you know what? I, I had thought similar the other day. And he said that... Uh, it, his belief is that it will be a choice. It won't be a mandated um, thing. But it's, it's interesting. And I, I've also had other conversations with people around trust. And, you know, everyone has had to trust that people are doing their job and, you know, doing everything when you, they can't be seen. But when, it, you know, when the time comes, are they then going to continue that level of trust and uh, to, to extend out to their employees or is it going to be a command and control back into the way that we've always done things now I'd really hope that that's not the case and we've shown that actually if you give people the right tools the right operating systems the right platforms the right culture the right boundaries to to do things and that there's a two-way level of trust coming at you then I don't think productivity or anything like that um, suffers. And I really hope that that's something that continues outside of the pandemic. Wow, this has been an amazing conversation. Uh, and it's been so exciting because I don't think I could have lived without Facebook during this time. <laughs> it's so true. All of our all of our products, yeah, it's have to say, I'm I'm yeah, very, very fortunate to not only you know, have, have had it from a personal life perspective, you know, my, my WhatsApp, my, my messenger, Facebook and in Instagram, but, uh, you know, workplace to enable me to get stuff done, but also my portal device. So for those of you that don't know portal, we have a, um, a professional video equipment, um, which is for consumers and it's a way, it's a smart camera and it's a great way of actually being able to connect um, with people. So I can, it follows you around the room as you're talking, which is fantastic. So I can be, I can be cooking dinner and moving around and yet the camera will be following me as I talk to my mum or my friends. Um, and it's a really beautiful, high quality picture. Um, and so they're offered? flying off. The Sorry? Is that offered now? Yeah, yeah, you can buy it. It's, uh, it's retailing. Oh, wow. Because that would be nice. 
Because when I'm walking there, I'm doing this while I'm cooking. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, I know. And then you chop your finger accidentally and it's just... <laughs> That's a great hack. I'm going to remember that. So I just have one, coming to close, I really want to thank you. Abby. This has been an amazing conversation. Uh, I've learned so much about connection, empowerment, and transformation. I love your tagline. Is that a personal tagline of yours or is that workplace or is that kind of I just loved it when I saw it I was like oh this is such a great tagline connect and power transform it's um it's something that we use on the connected executive program to to help leaders really sort of like think about the the various stages that, that they would go through um, in how to be visible and connected within their organizations so thank you I'm glad you like it no I really like it because I think connection gives a different rule than communication because 100%. it's not just about communicating are you communicating with the right words are you connecting with the people so they're responding to what you're saying so you have much more responsibility with connection instead of communication so I, I really thought that was a good so so my last question for you, and then I'm going to let you go. I've captured you here for a while. What word quote has defined you or what is your favorite film or commercial? I do have um, a, a quote that really spoke to me when I, when I heard it. It was uh, Steve Jobs's 2005 Stanford commencement address that he gave. So shortly after he'd... Um, announced that he had cancer etc um, and and part of that um, address he said uh, life is short so don't waste it living someone else's life there was a few sentences in but then he he then also said have the courage to follow your heart and your intuition somehow they already know what you truly want to become and for me that is absolutely how I like to to live my life as a you just don't know what tomorrow is going to bring. And it's better to do something that you are going to be passionate about, that you're going to get enjoyment, you're going to get fulfillment out of. And listen to your gut instinct on it because it's pretty accurate. You just need to, you need to have faith in it and don't let others' opinions drown out what you know inherently um, within yourself. And that's what it is, bringing your full self out there. And thank Absolutely. you for bringing your full self here and helping uh, <laughs> create such a great conversation. I could talk forever and ever, but we do need to go back to work and do other things. But uh, thank you for your time. No, thank you so much. It was great chatting to you and I hope to see you very soon. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode and you know at least one or two friends that would get a lot of value from this, send this episode. Or text a couple of your friends right now to WhatsApp group, post it on your Instagram stories, Facebook, or Twitter, and don't forget to tag me at Torin B. Share with anyone you think that needs to hear this message. And if you're new, please pop on over to your favorite podcast app and subscribe. Leave us a review. We'd love to hear from you. And how can we prove and make this better? Or how did this help you? And don't forget to join us next week for another episode of Moving Beyond Acronyms. 